when she opened the door, saw me, jaw dropped. Um, I am glad, I would say, that her first reaction was to pull me inside, right? Instead of shutting the door in my face. I didn't quite agree with the reasoning behind that, but she pulled me in and sort of kicking me out. So that's, that's a win, I would say. She said that, you know, get in here. I don't know what you are doing, but what if the neighbors see you? Mm. Right. Um, so that sentence, I think, encapsulates a lot of what, uh, you know, the majority, I would say, of, of trans people face in society. Welcome to Beyond the Matrix with your host, Adric Suber. Have you ever wondered if this is all there is in life? What lies beyond what we were made to believe? In this podcast, we're going to uncover real human stories of those who have taken courage to go off the beaten path and live in full authenticity. We're going to challenge what you believe is possible, fuel your spirit with courage and heart with warmth to fully live your truth. So buckle up and get ready for the ride beyond Beyond the the matrix. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Matrix. Our guest for today is a feminist and trans activist who lives by the mantra, you can be anything if your heart's in it. Having grown up in Indonesia, where legal rights for the LGBT community are totally not supported, she somehow found the courage to transition at the age of 28 and is now a huge advocate for trans visibility and rights. She is the APAC lead of the Trans at Google Global Steering Committee, the founder of Translucent, a community support group for Indonesian trans folks, and a moderator of two international trans communities. None of them are her main job. She is a growth manager at Google for mobile app publishers in Southeast Asia. And apart from that, she's also a part-time mermaid. I had the honor to work with her and be her deskmate at Google in Singapore for three years. And I am I was constantly and still am inspired and touched by her courage to always live her truth, speak her truth, and most importantly, use her voice to advocate for justice and to protect others. So it's my honor and I'm so pleased to welcome back my dear friend that I'm so excited to reconnect with after nine months of living Google. So please join me and welcome Jean Illyria. Hey folks, hi everyone. And thank you Eric, for having me. So what, what would you like me to say? I think, I think you've done most of that introduction. <laughs> I'm not sure what else I can add to that. Yeah, I don't think it does justice. That's like a surface level of what people know you on the outside, but you just have so much depth. Of, on the inside <laughs> that I'm so excited for people to to dive into. Um, I guess we can start by just sharing a little bit about what you're doing at Google now uh, to advocate for the trans community. Right. Interesting question. So um, <clears throat> like you mentioned, right, I am a part of the, well, I am the APEC representative of the trans at Google. Uh, employee resource group. And what that means is uh, a lot of that work goes behind the scenes, actually. So let's take, for example, you know, our benefits policy, right, uh, within the company that covers, you know, medical expenses, um, insurance needs, and so on. A lot of that is, of course, you know, de- first developed with the majority of the population in mind, right? So for example, um, they would rarely uh, at first you know consider the needs of the lgbt 
uh, community, and especially the trans community, right, um, who might have, you know, deeper, uh, more complex uh, medical needs involved in their transition journey. So what I do is I work with these stakeholders within a company from the HR team, the benefits team, as well as, you know, again, legal uh, and our uh, insurance providers to make sure that this treatment is, you know, these treatments that, that you know, the trans community needs or trans employees need uh, are actually covered by the policy mm. and that this is communicated as such, right? Um, sometimes we also notice that... Um, <clears throat> Policies tend to be developed on a global scale or on a regional scale, and that misses out the individual nuances in each of the markets in APAC, for example. Right? Um, the most common example that I usually quote is the need for two separate you know, psychologists' letter right, for our insurance team uh, to be able to cover for expenses related to, let's say, gender affirmation surgery. Right? That is a global um, guideline, which uh, makes sense, right? However, when you translate that into an APEC context, uh, especially for, you know, um, our colleagues in Indonesia and Malaysia and Vietnam, where, you know, access to these services, these psychological services is difficult in the first place, and access to one that is affirming and understanding, and is mm. you know, ready to sign their name on that piece of paper, is much, much harder. Uh, it gets... Mm very difficult to even get one letter, much less two. Right? So um, mm. what we are doing is to make sure that you know, these benefits uh, are accessible to everyone within the company who needs them and that the process is you know, as easy and as fair as it can be. Mm. Yeah, I think it's so important to have the representation mm -hmm. in that committee because I feel everyone each individual group ex has such a different experience personally, especially the the minority groups, you know, the LGBT communities, the black community, people of color, mm -hmm. people who are hand handicapped. And without having people who share the similar experience and struggle as they do, a lot of the people who are not in this minority groups will not be able to relate deeply in order to understand what are the necessary changes and tweaks that are necessary to support this groups that are, that is very kind of personalized because mm -hmm. the, the experience is very different as much as people maybe think that oh yeah intellectually i know you're different but like do you really understand what you what we go through on the day-to-day -day, what we have gone through and what kind of support that we need so i think what you're doing uh, at Google is is very important. And apart from doing this at Google, you're also a moderator for a few trans groups, and you also started your own um, trans support group for Indonesia. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you can share a bit more about what else you do outside of Google for the trans community and what inspired you to do so much and to give back to the community. Right. Well, I think I would say that the, at the core of what I do is this concept of visibility. Right? I think that, you know, especially for myself growing up um, you know, in Indonesia, in this uh, you know, region, in this context, um, I had very little representation. Right? I didn't have a role model that I could look up to you know, as yes. someone who was trans, um, you know, 
and you know, also succeed in life, right? That is missing, right? Most of the media portrayals that we've seen growing up is always on the negative side. Right? We are, you know, trans people are always equated to, um, you know, sex work. Um, not that that's a bad thing on its own, right? But it's always portrayed in this negative light by these, um, you know, publications, productions, and so on, right? Um, there's also those connotations with, you know, gangs, drugs, violence, uh, and so on. And um, to me, what that meant is that I, you know, if, if people were to find out about me, right, that would, um, quote unquote, again, condemn me to being on the fringes of society, right? And, you know, either having to hide who I really am to be able to succeed and to enjoy the benefits um, or, you know, again, the privileges that the majority of the population has. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, I would basically have to live with, you know, not being myself and just playing this game, playing playing the game by the rules of the society that we live in. Right? Yeah. So that was my experience growing up until, of course, one day it got too much for me. Uh, and, you know, thankfully at the time, you know, it's, it's also the advent of the internet and we got to see and meet uh, a lot more people who are more, you know, who are more again, quote unquote, integrated into society <laughs> and are able to, to continue living their lives, you know, as normal as, as possible. And that's, that's what gave me the courage right? mm. my transition. And I think that's also why I am, uh, you know, such a big supporter of visibility, right? Uh, if, you, if you go to my socials, <laughs> I'm completely open about uh, the fact that I am trans um, and that I've gone through my transition and all that. Uh, because I believe that the more people think or see and believe that there is nothing wrong with being trans and that, you know, you can still, you know, continue to, you know, function, live and um, be accepted by the people around you, despite Mm -hmm. of, you know, who you are, who you, you know, what you've done in the past and so on. Um, Yeah. I think that carries a lot of power. 100%. Like, what you just shared really touches my heart because I mean, as a bisexual man, as also part of a minority group, I could really resonate with not having a role model and having to suppress my sexuality and what I think is true and authentic to me. So just so that I could fit into the society mm-hmm. and that is very suffocating. Like it's not only, recently maybe a couple three two three years ago that i really came out and fully owned my truth but until then i could really resonate i'm not saying that our experience was the same uh, i can imagine how much more challenging it was for you to to be like i could still show up as a man like for you you're you were living in a body that you felt like wasn't yours and you had to pretend every single day and i couldn't imagine how suffocating and how trapped you felt in the 28 years of your life so yeah that really moved me and i i really want to dive dive deeper into your story um but i also want to share my motivation for bringing you to the show was uh initially when i started this podcast i thought it was all about uh the people in the new spirituality area or people who don't do like nine to five because these are all the things that 
as society kind of prescribes to us, right? But then I realized, no, it's not just yeah. about this, but also about sexuality, identity. There's so many conditionings. Uh, there's so many kind of structure and templates that have been prescribed and have been existing and so prevalent among us that we don't realize like and sexuality and our identity was such a big part of that. And I, I was like, yeah, yeah like, like for you, your life journey really embodies this having been like what you shared, you know, like having to fit in while your body just didn't feel like it was right for you, but you have to pretend all the time. That's why I really wanted to bring you to the show and really share your inner experience. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, I, I, I met you in that kind of a monumental part of your life. And I kind of witnessed you throughout almost like the whole process of the transitioning. Like I remember we were doing a business trip in Jakarta together. And then you told me that you came out to your mom during that trip. And then I was also there when you did your transition in Thailand. So now that I look, I actually don't, I didn't remember mm-hmm. until I, 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 we were having this conversation. I was like, oh, actually, wow, that's, that's quite, quite yes, amazing. You've been there all there. along. <laughs> I'm, so honored. I'm so honored. Yeah, but coming out to my mom in Jakarta, that was an interesting one, though. Yeah. Um, you want to tell like, the story of how you came out to your mom? I mean, you know the story, right? It's basically after we we happen to be in Jakarta. My mom lives in Jakarta. <clears throat> I I work in Singapore, right? And and you know, when, since we are there for business, and our last client meeting, you know, happens to be in the area where my mom lives, I figured out, you know, why not pay her a visit, a surprise visit? You know, it was unplanned. It was supposed to be only just a short trip, and I didn't really tell her that I was coming back. Uh, but I decided, you know, why not? Since we're here, right? So I went back in a in a in a taxi, uh, knocked on the door, rang the doorbell, and she opened the door, and she saw me, basically, you know, her her prodigal son, <laughs> uh, decked out like I mean, like you know, mostly in pink, florals, dress, heels, makeup, and all that after a long day of client meetings. And she's yeah, like, wait, wait, "Hang on, hang on." I like, I'm just imagining myself in your position. <laughs> I can already feel my heart racing. I I think of the time when I had to come out to my parents and whoa, that was scary as hell. You know, like my I felt like my heart was almost coming out of my chest. And for you to like come prepared in your suit of like pink dress and heels and your makeup, I could I can't even imagine what it felt like. Was it was that plan that you were you were supposed to come out to her on that day or no. what was going on in your I think it was a spur of the moment decision. Wow. Yeah, it was a spur of the moment decision. I was there. Might as well get this over and done with. And I think mm. it's it's partly also because, you know, I've been living uh, semi-independently for the past, what, um, 10 years by then. Mm-hmm. And I think that that sort of gave me that courage, right? Um, yeah. And being away from them and being, you know, knowing that, you know, after today, after this meeting, um, yeah. nothing much would have changed, right? Whether she accepts me or she does not, uh, I would still go back to my hotel room and I'll take a flight back to Singapore um, the day after. And yeah. I think that sort of gave me some sense of safety, strangely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I, you were speaking to like what I was going through my mind when I when I planned to come out to my parents which was yeah having that 
separation a little bit, knowing that I'm no longer dependent on them and I've developed my own identity. I, I gain confidence in what I think is right and authentic for me that is independent of what they think is right for me. And knowing that regardless of the outcome of how they reacted to me coming out, like life goes on, of course, it, it'll be nice for them to accept me and accept my uh, sexuality. But regardless, I, at the back of my mind, I had that thoughts that I just wanted to tell them the truth. And regardless, I don't care about the outcome. I just want to just express this and yeah. not having to feel mm -hmm. like, oh, like I have this shame them carrying with me around them. Like we don't want our shame to own us. We want, we want to fully release this shame. Yeah. I guess that was, the, I'm assuming that's what was going on for you as well. Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. yeah. Although, um, you know, now that I think about it, right, uh, and every time I tell this story, like, it also reminds me that it's not, not everyone enjoys, you know, these same, again, you know, privileges that we have, right? Uh, you know, of, of being able to, you know, distance ourselves from, yeah. um, you know, you know, the environments that we grew up in, to be able to form yes. our own thoughts and our own identities. Uh, and to have that safe haven, yeah. right, back, you know, be that here in Singapore, in another country, or even in your mm. own place, right? I think um, that's, it's something that, that, that I think I keep getting reminded of. Um, and that's, I think, yeah. something that we definitely should not take for granted. Absolutely. It's, it's quite a privilege for us to be able to create a life for ourselves and to not attach our life to our parents because i think yeah you're right a lot of people still especially in indonesia they live with their parents they get allowances from their parents they mm -hmm. work for their parents business so a lot of their life has a lot of has a lot to do with their parents so they don't have that privilege to just like okay i don't care what you think i will just like go live my life so it's certainly a privilege that we both have um and what was your advice for people who don't have such a privilege like us do to be able to establish their own identity and really own their sexuality identity, uh, regardless of what they, their parents' acceptance? Because sometimes it could be really toxic. We, uh, we can't depend on our parents eventually coming around and like uh, accepting it. Like, I think for me, I'm very lucky that my parents were trying to understand they're not fully mm -hmm. accepting it yet but at least they're not violent they're not trying to like disown me yeah. but we've heard of stories from the lgbt community where it could get really <clears throat> bad and what was your advice for people who who are in the situation i would actually say you know to start off by finding your community right um whatever it is that you are going through um, <clears throat> it's very unlikely, especially in this day and age, that you are the only one going through that. And I think that you know, if, if you're able to somehow connect uh, with people in a similar situation, um, that would allow you at least some release or some you know, catharsis right, from, from the problems that you're facing uh, to understand you know, what sort of solutions may be there for other folks in, your, in the same shoe that you are. Uh, and that, I think, uh, is a good start, right? To know that you are never alone and to be able to then relate your experiences and learn from others who have gone through the same path as you. Uh, second step, of course, is 
<clears throat> I would say to then figure out a plan, right? Lay down what your next steps are and um, to really work towards uh, achieving that, right? Um, I know it sounds very generic, uh, but what that looks like in the context of, you know, let's like, say the trans community in, uh, you, know, in you know, specifically is, um, for example, to, you know, of course, first try and complete your studies if, if you are still a student. Uh, and then following that, you know, finding how you can uh, start earning some income to support yourself. Because once you have that, right, financial independence, uh, mm. that unlocks a lot of other options for you. And that releases you from that dependence, uh, be that on your parents, be that on the um, you know, social support system and whatever you call that. Um, but yeah. it does. sense of self-worth, right? Because I think exactly. a lot of us attach our sense of self-worth to the opinion of our parents. And yes. when you could own your own money, you could build your own career knowing that what you've built for yourself can be independent of their opinion, then mm -hmm. I think that's when you start building that confidence to really uh, live your truth and make your own decisions that is authentic to yourself. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I was just telling my, my, my friend the other day that transitioning is not just an issue, you know, it's, it's not just about changing how you look, you know, changing that letter on your identity cards. Um, a lot of it in involves changing how you see yourself. And, and changing how you see your own self-worth, like you mentioned, right? Uh, society has taught us to only measure ourselves in finite terms, right? Um, mm. The careers you hold, how much money you have, how beautiful or how handsome you look, for example, right? Or, you know, how filial you are to your parents, how many children you have and so on. But that's not the only thing that matters, right? And a lot of that, at the end of the day, uh, if you're able to internalize that own sense of self-worth rather than relying on external affirmations, that is, I think, when, you know, it, it, it's a key to a lot of things, right? And, to, and, and yeah. to achieving a lot more for yourself um, and for others in the same shoe as you. Yes, 100% with you on that. I also realized that I hijacked your coming out story to your mom, so I want to bring us back. <laughs> To that, to that sorry yeah so uh well uh, where was i okay so so i basically stood at a door you know um in full regalia and she opened the door her jaw dropped i was convinced that she would have a heart attack then and there um thankfully she did not but oh my god <laughs> did you not drop any hints before then like did she have no clue at all i mean i've tried right not not on the same day but you know I've, I've sent her some photos of um you know me trying out makeup or me you know trying out this new um you know face app <laughs> I, I i don't think she got it until until that day and um yeah and then you know when, when she opened the door saw me jaw dropped um i am glad i would say that her first reaction was to pull me inside right instead of shutting the door in my face right and um i didn't quite agree with the reasoning behind that but she pulled me in and sort of kicking me out so that's that's a win i would say and um she said that you know get in here i don't know what you are doing but what if the neighbors see you 
Mm. Right. Um, so that sentence, I think, encapsulates a lot of what, uh, I'll, you know, the majority, I would say, of, of trans people face in society. There's a lot of pressure, again, from this image of, you know, what is proper and right versus, yeah. you know, how, how society sees us. Right? There's a lot of that, <clears throat> what if the neighbors see us, right? Um, and, and I think that that is, you know, this entire, you know, systems of power, right, that you mentioned, Edric, earlier about how we are built into society and integrated into society and how these values are, you know, built and drilled into us. Mm -hmm. um, I think recognizing that and being able to, you know, not just recognize, but um, build a narrative around that, right, that frees you from that sort of perception of, you know, this is what society thinks is valuable. This is what society thinks is right and so on. Breaking free of that yeah. is, is really, I think, where freedom comes from. Yeah, and, and I think the first step is just like realizing that there is this narratives that don't come from you, like that have been drilled in you since you were born. And then you realize that, hey, this is not coming up from my inner voice or my heart. Like this, this is coming from something else, someone else. I don't know what is, but yeah. like... It, realizing that you could separate yourself from this narrative and claim exactly. your own narrative. Yeah. 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 And, and that's, that's exactly what I told my mom. Right. Um, you know, I, I know that you love me because you pulled me in instead of, you know, kicking me out that you still want me here. Right. But you are yeah. concerned about what people would think of you mm. loving, you know, a trans, you know, child. Right. Yeah. How is that, you know, how, how does that resolve itself, you know, mentally, logically, rationally in your own mind? Because it does not, right? If you love someone, you should not care or that love should not be qualified or, you know, jeopardized by what other people might think about it. Right? Yes. And then that's the exact question I posed to her. And uh, I think it took her some time to process, but I'm, I'm glad uh, she finally realized that, yeah, you know what, what, what other people think or see or hear uh, doesn't matter, right? Uh, a child is a child, uh, it is my child. Um, and um, yeah, like I would love her unconditionally. So yeah. really thankful for that. Uh, yeah, goosebumps and I'm so happy to hear that. Like. Because, uh, like, you, you know, your mind eventually came around and I know that she even accompanied you to Thailand to be with you during that transition period. So, yeah, it just gives me hope, gives, I guess, the listeners hope who think that their parents are so fixated on their own opinion. And eventually, if they do love you, um, they will realize that it is what matters the most. They might be confused in the beginning, just like my mom was. <laughs> She's like, what do people think? I want you to be happy. The exact same response. It's a Chinese Indonesian <laughs> response. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, <laughs> they love their children, but they really care about the image. They really care about what people think about them yeah. and their children. So they got confused. They're like, I love my child, but like, I also don't want people to think them that they are not accepted in the society and how it affect my own image. And so they're confused. I think eventually when they come around and able to separate, oh, am I caring what people think about me or do I actually love 
do I prioritize loving my my child more? Um, yeah. So yeah, like for my mom, I guess because she doesn't really have to face this like upfront, like unlike your case where you know you have to go through transition. So like it is an it's an absolute kind of change or transition. But for me, she's like maybe he will eventually end up with a woman. So she. I don't know what her kind of inner state right now is or her opinion about my sexuality, but I'm glad that, you know, to hear to hear your story, I'm like, okay, maybe my mom eventually will also just like come around and realize that love is what all matters. So yeah, thank you for inspiring that hope. Um, I, yeah, um, I want to backtrack a little bit in your life and to to hear the life of Jano and how growing up in Indonesia was like when do you first know that this you you don't this gender just doesn't belong to you and how did that feel like gr- growing up with this realization and still supr- thinking that you're wrong thinking that there's something wrong about you Yeah. Um, wow. Where do I start? Um, <clears throat> I guess you know. Uh, once upon a time, in a in a faraway land, um, <laughs> this boy was born, um, and and you know, uh, I, I was born in Germany, right? And I stayed there until I was five, mm-hmm. before my parents moved back uh, to Jakarta, to Indonesia, right? And uh, so that's that's the context, right? And Growing up, I would say for the first like ten years or so of my life, there's not much that differentiates you, right? Um, you know, again, when we were very young, you don't realize what this concept of gender is, except that maybe you know your mom tells you that you can't buy this doll because it's meant for girls, and you should buy this mm-hmm. action figure instead because it's manly and macho, and you know that's what boys play with. Yeah. Uh, but you don't really grasp um, what's going on behind that, right? Um, it's only I would say around you know primary four, primary six, around that age, when you know teachers start grouping you, you know, in terms of you know the the physical education classes, for example, right? Okay, the boys do this, the girls do that. You know, boys play soccer, girls do gymnastics, or. Um, You know, you can't go to this girl's birthday party because only girls are invited, and 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 that's when you start realizing that why is this this why is there this segregation, right? And why am I always in the group mm. that I don't really connect with, that I don't really identify with? Mm. And again, you know, as a child, the most rational explanation that you can come up with is it's an adult thing, and I don't understand why I should just follow. Right, um, and that stayed yeah. with me right all the way until um, I would say I was in uh, junior high school. So that's grade ten, nine ish around there. And um, you know, again, people's you know, you know, as as children grow up, right? They they talk about you know their body parts and so on. And again, it feels very wrong right almost repulsive right to talk about these um, topics right and to you know sometimes even you know show off in front of everyone else and <laughs> mm. yeah so, so so that's 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 the context i had growing up 
right? That I feel like I don't belong, mm. right? In this group, uh, yeah. Label voice, and then um, somehow or other, I have also had this attraction towards you know the naturally more feminine side of things, right? Um, I was interested in dolls, you know, when I was young, um, you know, very stereotypically for some reason. <laughs> um, <clears throat> But also, um, you know, I, I started wanting to, um, for some reason, to, to dress like the girls, right? Maybe to, to be a part or to, to, you know, maybe if I dress up like them, they would allow me to join you know, their activities mm-hmm. rather than yeah. <laughs> the other groups, right? Um, so that's what, what went through my mind. Of course, I thought, you know, I, you know th- this can't be, you know, I'm just weird. It's wrong. And then you hear about all these stories about, um, uh, you know, essentially drag queens, right? Um, what we call cross dresses and transvestites back then, um, you know, being raided by the police, engaging in, you know, illicit sexual activities, arrested for drug use in the media. And they always, you know, parade the, the uh, you know, uh, mostly the girls, um, you know, in front of the yeah. camera. You know, strip them naked and all that, and try to beat the masculinity back into them. And uh, yeah, so basically, you just know that you are a freak, right? You are weird, and nobody should find out about this. Um, yeah, because yeah, because I'm I'm sure it's for someone at your age where you still haven't developed that much confidence and uh, acceptance toward yourself yet, and seeing the state of the world right now and how they treat. They, how they treated the the, the trans people yeah. that instilled so much fear yeah someone exactly. like you exactly and i think the only way that you know a non-conforming person could be you know successful quote unquote back then again is mostly you know they're mostly in comedy like like they are you know they they they, they always play a stereotypically female mm-hmm. character um, but also with a stereotypically male um, behavior, right? So it, it's that caricature of gender, right? And that is, I think, the only way that you can be accepted in society you know, by making fun of yourself, right? In Singapore, we have the same person in the, you know, that same persona in the image of Kumar, the comedian, right? Again, always stresses femininely, um, but also... Uh, carries themselves or you know uh, speaks you know in a very masculine typically masculine yeah yeah well that makes me realize there's so many layers of this matrix that we live in <laughs> you know like even when you feel like you could be fully yourself there is there still is like a certain boxes within what being yourself actually means yeah. like in your case you know coming out at, as trans in that period means like you can only be this like comedian caricature type of character and when you step out of out of that like expectation then you're you're not accepted they they'll they'll try to like uh disappear you and it it feels very limiting uh even though if it, it, we think that oh yeah they they seem to live a, a free and like authentic life but yeah. no they still they're still living within maybe they they laugh a layer of the matrix but then they're still within the larger layer of yeah. the pattern uh, matrix so yeah exactly. just give me the and realization do you know what's interesting is that actually right even after you know even today right um after you successfully transition you know there are resources available and so on 
the past, right, where the narrative was 10, 15 years ago, back when I first started reading about this, still haunts you, right? It still exerts this pressure for you to conform, right? So back then, the way to succeed or to, the way to be accepted is to either, you know, of course, make fun of yourself, that's number one, or two, be so convincingly normal that people can't tell, you know, that you are trans or that you are different in, 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 in a certain way. And a lot of the younger, um, you know, members of the community, I feel, still face that pressure. They still feel that need to conform um, because I don't know whether it's because, you know, the older generation has, you know, tried this, but it's, it's tried and tested, right? This is the only way that you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's this generational trauma that is exactly. being passed exactly. to, to them and it will take time to heal because... Yeah. I think even right now, the world hasn't fully accepted uh, the trans and mm -hmm. the LGBT community yet. So let alone like healing the trauma from like our past generation, it's just a lot that we need to that's heal. A lot, that's a lot to unpack, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how, how do you go from, you know, living in this state of fear and thinking they always have to conform to, to this expectation from the society to eventually found that courage and 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 the uh, and really connect to that inner voice inside yourself to 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 embark on this path on this journey of really embracing your identity yeah i would say it was a sort of a quarter life crisis that hit me <laughs> so i was you know of course 28 i was going on 30 um and I felt, you know, that, that pressure has, of course, been continuously steadily building. And I found myself needing to find, you know, one form of release or other, right? So, so that typically, you know, involves me going overseas to Bangkok, you know, on business trips and, you know, to, to, to be able to just go to a foreign place where nobody knows me and just explore my identity there. Um, mm. And, um, but that, you know, it's like, you know, it's like a kid who first tastes chocolate. Like the moment you get a taste of it, mm. you want more and more and more. You call it an addiction or, or, or whatever it is, but wow. that is the truth, right? The moment you realize that there's so much more that you can experience as you can be, the more, of course, you want to be that person, right? And, um, I think it got to a point where. Again, I was 28, I uh, was going on 30 very soon, and um, I felt like I should be happy. I felt like I have everything. I have a job at you know, Google. I had an amazing girlfriend um, of five years then. And um, yeah, like, you know, life seems to be on track and I should be glad. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. I just wasn't, I, I did not feel, you know, happy. I didn't feel accomplished. Um, what I felt instead was that need, right, to continuously go on these escapes, mm. to, to continue exploring, you know, this, this side of me that I always had to have hidden. And yeah. I think that was, that's what triggered me, right? Uh, it's just, you know what? I don't care. <laughs> I'm just going to do it. Um, and I was, I think I was lucky enough that I had a couple of role models then that I've met 
you know, within Google, within the international, um, you know, support groups that I was part of, um, you know, people who essentially hold normal jobs, who hold, you know, who live normal lives, who have formed a life for themselves, uh, you know, within mm. this the constraints that that we as a community face, and seem mm. genuinely happy. So that's mm. yeah, like a combination of okay, I can't take this anymore, and I need an escape. Plus, you know, there are all these other people who have now managed uh, to you know, to, 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 to build a life for themselves. And yeah, so I just had to go for it. Mm, yeah. Hearing this makes me now deeply understand your passion for, to advocate for visibility of, of trans rights and trans representation, because that's what gave you that inspiration and courage to know that there are people who are trans and not have to be like a comedian or to fit into this this box that the society has created for trans people, yeah. like people who could live a normal life and are integrated well in the society and have a, a great career, and and that gives people hope. Now I now I I always know like okay, having representation is good, but I not really know in my body like oh why actually it matters. Now hearing your story that. It could give so much hope to people because I think, like it or not, we are just a we are a mirror of each other, and we're social creatures. Like it or not, like the opinion of others, the environment, our environment, who we're surrounded with, plays such a big role in influencing our identity. So when you could see someone who shares a similar struggle as you do, and and has that life, ideal life that is different from what the society thinks is right or wrong. It, it just gives you so much hope. One, I guess I want to ask the question that I think the audience is curious about, like, because mm -hmm. you were dating a girl before when you were still yeah. a man. So I guess I would love for you to share your identity or your gender doesn't have to represent your sexuality and sexual preference. Right, right. Yeah, I think... So <laughs> the joke is that I don't care whether you're male, female, or anything in between, as long as you are a decent human being, you know, who ticks, you know, the, these number of boxes that I have, then yeah, it's perfectly fine. Right? <laughs> so that's the joke. But um, yeah, I think, I think, you know, a lot of people need to understand the yeah. difference, right, between what sexual orientation is and what gender identity is. Uh, and then on top of that, of course, what, uh, you know, gender expression is, right? You know, these are three distinct independent concepts that tend to be very closely related, um, you know, again, in normal society. Uh, but, you know, they are, of course, you know, as with any normal distribution in mathematics, right? There are always um, <clears throat> the tail ends of the curse. And in, in some cases, these don't necessarily overlap. So you can, for example, be <clears throat> assigned to male at birth, like I was, um, transitioning into, you know, uh, and identifying as a female, um, while also being attracted, right? So that's your, you know, that's your gender identity, right? Mm -hmm. While being attracted to, let's say, you know, an, another female, right? That's sexual orientation. That's your, that's your romantic preference. 
right? Mm. Um, and this partner does not necessarily need to present female. Right? They can identify female, but they can dress yeah. very butch, very masculine. Right? Yeah. And that's gender expression, right? It's, it's perfectly yeah. uh, normal and okay, and it should be acceptable to have these variations. Yeah. Yes. Thanks for educating us because I want to, I want you, I want, I wanted you to bring this up because I think people have certain expectation of uh, trans people, like why they change their gender. So, oh, maybe they wanted to be with the, uh, you know, the, the same, the same gender. So they switched to the opposite gender, you know, yeah. but that's not, again, that's just another expectation, <laughs> another layer of like, uh, in the matrix that people ha are yeah, still living yeah. in. Um, so mm -hmm. changing your gender doesn't mean that you want to change the uh, your sexual uh, or gender preference. So thanks for educating yeah. us on that. Um, and another thing that you mentioned, uh, which I felt like, wow, because like, something they mentioned about being a kid who get a taste of a chocolate for the first time and how you want more of that. And I just can't imagine, mm -hmm. you know, having lived 28 years, 30 years of, of not having that. Like, I think all of us just take it for granted. Like, okay, this is our body. I fit perfectly well to like what I, the body I inherited. And mm -hmm. I'm just going to, go on and like do whatever my body desires but for you it's just so refreshing to hear oh you get a taste of what actually feels right for your for you as, as a soul and to want more of that that I, I just i just wanted to really highlight that because a lot of us just take it for granted the fact that we happen to be born in this in the in the body that we feel is aligned with who we think we are and for a lot of people in the trans community who don't have such a pre and it, it, it can't and people think ah you know it's it's what people you know experience today but for a lot of people like people in the trans community this is such a big privilege mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i agree but um that's that's correct right um but i also would like to i think make a note right that the body is one thing right um it is the form that most that is you know most commonly referred to right or that mo you know most people use to identify gender right? it is not however the only thing right? um, i think there is a very fine line i would say that you know, i've come to realize recently uh, between you know gender dysphoria and body dysmorphia Right. I think I think these two things often come hand in hand, uh, but they're also again you know separate and distinct concepts. Hmm. Um, I think that a lot of how you see or how we see anyone sees uh, our own bodies, uh, again a lot of that is shaped by society, right? Hmm. Uh, the attachment of gender values or gender characteristics to a body is just a small part of that. And what this means is, of course, we all see, you know, those Instagram models, um, you know, Thor and his mm. superhero body and, you know, Captain America and all that, right? These are idealized versions of, um, you know, the, the human body, right? Um, but, you know, again, it's not the only thing. You can, for example, be mm. trans 
uh, and be valid and be seen as a valid, you know, man or woman or, uh, you know, non-binary identity in this society, um, regardless of how your body looks. Like, you're not less female in my, ex- mm. my case. Uh, you're not less female just because oh, yeah. your body is not the body of this particular Instagram model. I think that's mm. what a lot of people need to realize, that there are two different concepts and two different but very yeah. closely related, um, you know, uh, again, you know, to use that term, right, power systems <laughs> in play here from society. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, thanks for educating us again on, on the different layers um, that, that are at play here. And I think I can imagine uh, at this point, a lot of people will go like, oh, this is getting too complicated and complex. <laughs> like, I just don't want to care about this and go on with my life. And I want to throw uh, a quote by Alok that I, I, I heard recently, which was so inspiring, which was, you don't, of course, try to understand, muster up that kind of will and intention mm-hmm. to really understand someone and what's going on in their lives. But also, if you don't understand them, you can still have compassion for them. Like, you don't have yep. to... Um, you don't have to understand someone to love them. So you don't have to... Yeah. You don't have comprehension in order to have compassion. So, and I think that's just the baseline of what people need to have. You don't have to understand all the different terms and all the different narratives and different concepts as as long as you could just provide compassion, provide empathy that people are different. Mm-hmm. People are going through their own experiences that are different yeah. from you and just have compassion for them that they're going exactly, through their right? own struggle and their own fights. Yeah. Yeah, like treat anyone, everyone, trans or otherwise, um, you know, just as a decent human being would, right? That is the bar. (laughs) Yes, I look at that. You you don't ask too much. You don't have to understand all the different terms. Like at least, you know, treat everyone as if how you want yourself to be treated. Exactly. Treat everyone equally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Simple as humans. Right? It's just that. <laughs> right. We don't want to be treated differently. We want to be treated the same. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so how... So now that you've gone through all the transition, um, do you feel happier? Do you feel like you're in the in the type of body shape that you like, the type of representation or how you present yourself uh, in front of everyone? Like... How do you feel right now as as Jean? Um, so I keep telling myself that I am. And I think like directionally, I am definitely happier or in a better place than I, uh, than I used to be, right? Hmm. Um, as to whether or not I'm happy, um, I think that, you know, the very concept of being in a place where you are happy Right. Um, that sort of implies that there is a finite destination, right? a finite moment in time, a place or whatever it is where you are happy. But um, I think as, as we've come to realize, <laughs> there is no such there, there isn't such yeah. place. Right. Happiness is not a it's not a place. It's not a time. Uh, yeah. It's not even I would say a state of being. It's, it's, I think it's just how you look at things, 
uh, it's how it's more of how you your mind looks at things right um, there are of course you know moments today um, where I feel happy where I feel accepted where I feel affirmed and um, you know like looking at myself in the camera today I feel yeah I don't I don't really look that bad <laughs> but um, you know that does not discount the fact that you know I had a stressful day at work that you know I still need to yeah. clean the floor after this you know life goes on right uh, but there are certain things certain moments uh, that make me happy right it's the the, the parallel or the, the analogy that I like to use is it's you know imagine yourself walking down the beach especially you Edric since you're in Bali <laughs> imagine yourself walking down a beach right and there are a million you know grains of sand under your feet right these are essentially moments in your life right sometimes you come you know come across a piece of trash Right. And, you know, that may ruin your particular day or that particular, you know, minute that you're, you know, that, that particular scenery that you happen to look at. Right. But you're still at the beach. Right. And from time to time, you may come across, I don't know, like, um, you know, a, a beautiful seashell on the floor. Right. Or, you know, a small little cute fluffy dog, you know, barking and seeing the water. And, and that is, I would say, what happiness is, right? Those moments as you walk down that very long beach, <laughs> regardless of how many pieces of trash you come along the way. <laughs> yeah. I think that's how you yeah. should see happiness. Mm, ah, such a beautiful <laughs> reminder that happiness is a choice and, you know, it's a state of mind that you get to dictate, like, do I want to see the as half empty or half full and instead of wasting my energy on things that i know i can't change or are making me uh, uh feel bad like are there things in my life that i that are going really well that i can really appreciate uh, before we end i, I want to hear uh what's been the most inspiring or touching story that you've heard from the trans community that you're involved with could be the person that you've helped or the story that they've told you or how you've kind of helped make a difference in, in someone's life. Wow. Tough one. <laughs> um, I think it's so let me see. Well, not specifically me on my own, but um, <clears throat> we used to have this uh, trans um, girl from Australia, right? Uh, who you know frequently came in and, uh, on and off uh, into one of our community service, and she's I would say that she she has the whole package. Right? She's basically um, you know kicked out of her home. Uh, you know, got fired for, of course, you know, coming out as trans, um, had trouble with their partner, um, you know, fell into depression, drugs, alcohol, uh, the whole nine yards, basically. And um, from time to time, of course, she would come in, uh, vent a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, as she seems to collect herself a bit more, then, uh, or, you know, whenever she feels worse, then she leaves the server again. And that has happened for, I would say, a few years. Mm. And then um, wow. 
after some time, she, she just stopped coming back, right? And, um, you know, just all wondering what happened, right? And then um, I think, uh, so some of us reached out to her, um, you know, over, over DMs, mm-hmm. and we had some other folks in Australia who tried to, you know, find out where she was. And we found out that, you know, the reason she was not coming back anymore was because she didn't need us anymore. Right. Um, I think, you know, throughout her, you know, coming in and out uh, and getting that, uh, you know, support and affirmation, you know, when she needed it, uh, as well as, you know, of course, advice and all that, she sort of figured out what she wants to do and uh, how she wants to get there. Mm-hmm. So when, when, when we eventually reached out after not seeing her come back for a couple of months, realized that she's, you know, um, in a much better place, right? She has, like, she, she, she's found a job. She's found a temporary accommodation, um, you know, was sober for a couple of months back then. And, um, yeah, like, managed to, you know, kickstart her, 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 you know, medical transition journey and all that. And just a couple of months back recently, actually, um, I think around January or February, uh, we found out that she's started her own little community group. So, wow. yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's, it's nothing big, right? But I think for us or, you know, for me to see you know, that, that progress, right. From, uh, you know, being someone who's, you know, literally quite literally down in the dumps. Right. And, uh, mm. to be able to find the support she needs and to fold herself, um, together to get to a place where she is right now. And, and, you know, to, to continue, of course, living day by day. Uh, that's, mm that I would say really is something like it, it's, <clears throat> it reminds me of, you know, again, why we're all doing this and um, that we are all at the end of the day in this together. Yeah. Wow. I have, I have, I have goosebumps. <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> nothing small or I feel we don't have to do something big or like grand to really change the world. Like it's just, yeah, be like there for someone else. Talking to this person, right? And to be talking, there when, when they need it. Yeah. To be there, to show up for a friend that is in need, to be part of a community, to support those in the community who are in need. That These are all the small things we all can do and we all can, any single person can do. Like, because I myself had this thought of like, oh, I've got to like really save the world to feel like I'm worthy of something or to feel like I've done something in my life, but our role as, as, as a part of the society is just to be the most important thing for me, I feel is to be there for each other because we're not meant to go through whatever we're going through alone. We're, we're social creatures where mm-hmm. we can't survive yeah. on our own. And when we know that on our darkest days, there's someone else who cares for me even if it's a single person and it can just be as simple as a message to check in on us it could make a difference like it could make a difference in the world so your story Mm -hmm. was just so beautiful because it's not something big that you know you slip someone's life but it just 
this shows the power of a community. This, these are all small acts of kindness we all can do to just to change someone's life, to make a difference in someone's life, to remind them, affirm them of their worth, and to know that they're supported, and they're not alone in this journey. And when we do that often enough, that's when I really believe that the world can be a better place. We don't have to, you know, become a president or change the politics. It all starts from all these little acts of <laughs> kindness in our own lives. And if everyone does a little bit of this world, I feel we can really be a much better place. Beautifully put. <laughs> yeah, but you know, of course, if you want to be president, then by all means. <laughs> Uh, I like to end my each podcast episode to get my guests to share one takeaway that you could impart uh, to our audience. You know, you've gone through a lot in your life, Gene, in challenging societal expectations and getting outside of the box and really claiming your identity uh, and your authenticity. Like, what lesson or message did you wanted to share to our audience? Well. I don't know whether you know you'll get censored for this, but <laughs> um, I believe in you know the philosophy that some people call "fuck society," and by that I yes. mean you know don't be afraid, right? Don't be afraid to stand out. Don't be afraid to be different. Don't be afraid to do what you think is right, right? And don't be afraid to voice of course you know your thoughts your concerns your opinions and who you are right to the world because i think and i believe actually that that is the only way that you can make change right um if we are afraid right if we always think that i am going to get judged uh by what i do what i wear what i look like what i eat and so on um, you're just going to be paralyzed by your own fears and you'll, you, you'll end up doing nothing. Right? So fuck society, do what you yes. uh, think is right. And um, yeah, be yourself. <laughs> uh, beautifully said. I'm with you 100%. Fuck society. This is literally <laughs> what this whole podcast is all about. <laughs> <laughs> go beyond what the society thinks is right. Go beyond all this like matrix that we've been like trapped exactly. in our whole life, and and that's the reason you know I really want to bring you to the to the, the podcast because your whole life would just really embodies that. Like the whole world is telling you, <clears throat> you cannot change your gender. You cannot uh, claim what you feel is right if it's not you're not born with with what you want. And you literally mm -hmm. just like, fuck you. This is what I want. <laughs> and this is what's right for me. <laughs> and and I'm going to claim that. I'm going to claim my happiness. I'm going to fight for that. So that's, that's yes, really what I am. Exactly. What I, that's really who you are. And that's what I took away from this. Just that courage to one, like just question like who 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 are this who do these narratives belong to do they really belong to me or do they i mean do i inherit this from like some cis fucked up system that that don't that i don't fit into and <laughs> and also a beautiful lesson that i took mm -hmm. was also the power community right and the power of visibility and representation by having more yeah. people who to who speak their truth and have the courage to to live their truth that inspires so many more other people to do the same and and that's today i really understand why 
the word visibility is so mm -hmm. important uh, to you. And I see that in a lot of your previous work at Google and even now. So yeah, thank you so much, Jean, for sharing your story and speaking your truth in this episode. Thank you for doing what you're doing for the trans community. I feel like more people should be doing what you're doing and just really creating more communities, creating more support system for everyone who needs to just, to, to just be a voice for people who, who, are, who don't have the same privilege as us and to support them and be with them and help them to, to get to a better place, a happier place. Yeah. So thank you. I'm so grateful exactly. to have you here and to share your story with us today. Thank you, Edric. Thank you for doing this. Thank you.